Chapter Seven of the Young Woman's Guide to Excellence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bria Snow. The Young Woman's Guide to Excellence by William A. Alcott. Self-government. This is so broad a subject that I shall present my thoughts concerning it under several different heads. It includes, in my estimation, the government of thoughts, the imagination, the temper, the affections, and the appetites. The young woman who truly governs herself will be at once cheerful, discreet, modest, diffident, vigilant, courageous, active, temperate, and happy. Cheerfulness. Is cheerfulness within our power? Some may be inclined to ask. I certainly regard it so that there are moments of our lives nay even considerable seasons where cheerfulness is not required may indeed be true our friends sicken and die and we mourn for them this is a law of our nature even our saviour was at times a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief though of all individuals in the universe cheerfulness was his right but he more more than his own sorrows and in so far as his example is, in this respect, binding upon us, it is only when we bear the sorrows of others. Those should indeed often be borne, and in proportion as they are borne, in proportion as we are wounded for the transgressions and bruised for the iniquities of others, it may not be possible for us to be continually cheerful. As for our own sorrows, the sufferings, the pangs, the bereavements of our own existence, we should never cease to regard them in some measure at least as the chastisements of an almighty father smitten friends according to the sentiment of a distinguished poet are messengers of mercy to us sent on errands full of love for us they sicken and for us they die we should be at least resigned even under such chastisements when we remember that they are inflicted by our father's hand but setting aside occasions of this time is there not a demand in our whole nature for general cheerfulness? It is not only the sunshine of the soul, but that of the body. The truly cheerful are not only happier in their minds and spirits, but also in their very bodies. The brain and nervous system play their part in the great drama of physical life better. The heart and stomach and lungs work better, indeed. All is better throughout. Is not that a duty which is productive of so much happiness? but can that be a duty which is not in our power to perform? It were surely an impeachment of the wisdom and goodness of God did require us in his providence or in his word, by his natural or his revealed law, to do that of which we are incapable. I consider cheerfulness, then, a matter of duty, and of course, as in a great measure, in our power. It makes us happier ourselves, it enables ourselves to reflect more happiness on others. I consider it especially as a duty of the young, who have it in their power to communicate happiness thereby in such large measure. Let them, young women especially, strive to cultivate it. It is in its nature a perennial plant, and if it is not such at the present time, it is because it is degenerated in a degenerate world. Let it be restored to its pristine beauty, and let the world thereby, in connection with other means of tending to the same end be restored to what it was before the loss of eden discretion this is a virtue with which it is supposed by some the young have little if anything to do i cannot assent to such an opinion i believe that the young are to be trained in the way they should go 
and as discretion is prominently a virtue of middle and later life i deem it desirable that we should see at least the germs of it in the young above all i do like to see the young woman discreet discretion not only heightens the pleasures of her existence but adds greatly to her reputation in the just estimation of the wise coupled with modesty of which i am to speak presently it more than doubles her charms let discretion then be studied let it be studied too for its immediate as well as remote benefits it will indeed bear fruit more abundantly in later life but it will not be without its value in youth it is the plant which it were worth while to cultivate if human existence were more frail and life more uncertain of continuance than it is now modesty of all the qualities appropriate to young women i know of none which is more universally esteemed than modesty and what has been by common consent so highly esteemed i cannot find it in my heart to undervalue indeed i do not think it has ever been overvalued or that it can be i have been somewhat amused not to say instructed by the following remark on this trait of female character from the pen of one who is not only a philosopher but a physiologist they are not the more interesting perhaps because they are somewhat new but neither are they less so as i have nothing else to say on this topic which has not been said a thousand times i transcribe the more freely the thoughts of the author to whom i refer modesty establishes an equilibrium between the superiority of man and the delicacy of woman it enables woman to ensure thereby for herself a supporter defender and while man thus barters his protection for love woman is a match for his power and the weaker to a great extent governs the stronger it is probable that modesty derives its cause in woman from a certain mistrust in her own merit and from the fear of finding herself below that very affection which she is capable of exciting and of which she is the object modesty compels her love to assume that form by which nature has taught her so universally to express it that of gratitude friendship etc modesty is a means of attraction with which nature inspires all females under this head i will just add that since by modesty the weaker govern the stronger it is of immense importance that woman should know the true secret of maintaining her power and also by what means she is likely to jeopardize that power and without undertaking to determine what should be the precise rules of female action and the precise limits of the sphere within which the author of her nature designed she should move it is not worth the serious inquiry whether she does not as a general fact lose influence the moment she departs widely from the province which god in nature seems to have allotted her when like a wollstonecroft or a wright or others still of less painful notoriety she mounts the rostrum and becomes the centre of gaping perhaps admiring thousands of the other sex as well as of her own so did not the excellent women of galilee eighteen hundred years ago although they were engaged heart and hand in a cause than which none could be more glorious or afford greater triumph especially to their own sex they probably knew too well their own power to endanger it thus in the general scale or if not they probably yielded to the impulses of a spirit which could direct them on a path more congenial to their own nature as well as on the whole more conductive to their own emancipation elevation and perfection diffidence this trait 
though nearly related to modesty is far from being the same thing its character having been more frequently brought in question than that of modesty and yet it seems to me equally valuable it gilds what modesty graces and polishes what modesty improves let not the reader confound modesty and bashfulness for they are by no means the same thing modesty is much opposed to impudence as anything can be and yet it is certain that impudence is often conjoined with bashfulness not so often to be sure in the female sex as in our own and yet such a phenomenon is occasionally witnessed even in women bashfulness is usually the result of too low an estimate of ourselves whereas true diffidence only leads us to value ourselves according to our real worth diffidence makes us humble but bashfulness sometimes makes us mean at least there is danger of it it is at all events of doubtful utility and though i would not denounce or condemn it i would urge the young to endeavour to rise far above it but i repeat it i would endeavour to cultivate and encourage every thing which belongs to true diffidence it will assist modesty in performing her angelic office and the influence of both united may save from many a pang in this world and perhaps prove a means under god of preventing the sentence of condemnation in the world to come courage by courage i do not mean that trait for which man is constitutionally as much distinguished as woman is for the want of it i do not mean a courage to meet and surmount physical difficulties and encounter outward and physical dangers i mean on the contrary that moral courage which is neither confined to sex nor condition not that physical courage is to be despised even by females on the contrary i think it is a trait of character which is quite too much neglected in female education it is not only lamentable but pitiable to see a female of twenty thirty or fifty years of age shrinking at the sight of a spider or a toad even when there is not the smallest prospect of its coming within three yards of her nor is it as it should be when a young woman already eighteen or twenty years of age has such a dread of pigs and cows as to scream aloud at the sight of one in a field so well enclosed that it is not possible her safety could be endangered with an animal ever so malicious such unreasonable and foolish fears ought by no means to be encouraged on the contrary she who finds herself a slave to them ought to suppress them as fast as possible this is indeed an important but much neglected part of female education and she who is a sufferer therefrom will do well to derive a hint from these pages the unreasonable fears of what i speak are by no means confined to the sight of toads or spiders or pigs or cows we find them more or less frequently and in some form or other in nearly every family some are unreasonably afraid of dogs and horses others of cats or snakes others again of the dark or of being alone by day or by night let me not be understood as saying that no tears are to be indulged in regard to any of these things it is only an unreasonable and foolish degree of fear that should be guarded against a cow or a horse feeding quietly in a pasture and separated from you by a stout fence which no animal in any ordinary circumstances is wont to leap is not a proper object of fear with a rational person over twelve years of age if a cow or horse is running at large in the highway and appears fearless of man or furious or if mad dogs are about enough of fear may reasonably be indulged to keep you from the streets and confine yourself to your home unless you have suitable protection 
but as i have already said it is moral courage that i would inspire in the young woman if she has patience and perseverance and fortitude why then may she not add to these moral courage what man has done man may do it has been a thousand times said and the remark is not less applicable to women than to man what woman has done woman may do but woman in numerous instances has possessed moral courage she has been known more than once to face a frowning world or to oppose some of its tyrant fashions i could mention more than one who has thus evinced true moral courage and set her sex on a glorious example which not a few of my readers might do well to follow let woman dare to do right whether fashionable or unfashionable let her dare to do so in the smaller no less than the larger matters of life let her dare to obey god and the laws of god both natural and revealed both within and around her rather than the laws of any man or set of men let her do this and she will evince true moral courage a courage as far surpassing the highest efforts of physical courage of prowess as right surpasses might virtue vice or purity impurity vigilance the young woman who truly understands and practises the art of self-government will not only train herself to be at once cheerful discreet modest diffident and courageous she will also be vigilant the largest ship may be sunk by a very small leak and in like manner may the brightest and noblest character lose its lustre unless the possessor is ever on the watch let not the most perfect individual on earth say in the plenitude of his own power and in the height of his own self-assurance my mountain stands strong i shall never be moved such assurances of self-government and self-possession may be proper of course are so in him who is in his own nature perfect and immutable infinitely and eternally so but not in a frail mutable created man or woman above all in the young and inexperienced pardon me then youthful reader when i repeat the scripture cautions be vigilant and let him who thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall it is easier to maintain the measure of self-government we have already attained and even to add to it than to recover what we have once lost thoughts and feelings on this account set a guard over the very thoughts of your heart all sin begins in the desires of the heart and the affections of the soul there in the deep recesses of the man it germinates let every imagination then which exalts itself unduly be brought low and let the stream of thought and feeling be pure and perfect and holy acquire the exceedingly important habit of confining your thoughts and desires to those subjects which your judgment tells you are lawful and proper and which are not only lawful and proper in general but which are so at particular times and places the wise man says there is a time and season for everything and more than intimates than it is wisdom to confine everything thoughts and feelings to no less than words and actions to their own place and time respectively but to learn to think with order is one exceedingly important item in the art of governing our thoughts half the thought in the world is of a mere random character men are but half men who have not yet attained to the government of their thoughts and feelings the affections 
even these as i have already said can be controlled were it not so what meaning would there be in the gospel commands so incessantly repeated by the divine author of the gospel to love our enemies on this subject the regulation and if i may say so the application of the affections i intend to dwell at greater length hereafter the temper nothing is more unpleasant slovenliness perhaps excepted than a bad temper i beseech every one who is so unhappy as to possess such a temper to pay particular attention to what i am about to say on this interesting and important topic some young women seem to entirely overlook the consequences of an ill temper these are numerous too numerous to be mentioned in a single chapter i shall only say here that such a temper is no less destructive in a slow way to the health of the body than it is to the mental faculties and the affections some suppose their ill temper to be constitutional and this serves them as an apology for neglecting to govern it they seem to regard it as so wrought into their very structure that it will hardly be possible ever to eradicate it they are condemned by inheritance as they appear to suppose to a perpetual war within in which the most they can hope for is their occasional victory now let me tell every young woman who has imbibed this erroneous and dangerous notion that god has never suffered the command of her temper to be placed beyond her reach she may acquire the most perfect self-command even in this respect if she will not in a moment nor in a day it is true the work may be the labour of months or of years still the battle can be won a permanent and final victory can be achieved the very general idea that single persons somewhat advanced in life especially females become habitually impatient or ill-tempered has too much truth for its foundation though it is by no means universally true nor is it ever necessary that it should be so as i have endeavoured to show elsewhere i wish every young person could be induced to study deeply the causes which operate on mankind to originate or perpetuate a bad temper they are numerous exceedingly so it is not necessary to charge much upon our ancestors the causes may much oftener be found within our own minds and bodies would we but look for them there we harbour or perhaps indulge in a thousand unpleasant feelings from day to day not seeming to know or at least to realise that as small streams form large ones so these first risings of anger lead to its more outbreaking form not a few of the instances of irritability fretfulness impatience and melancholy have their origin in physical causes in errors regard to exercise sleep air temperature dress eating drinking etc and some have their origin in mistakes about the theory or the practice of religion some originate too in disappointed love in short the sources are well nigh endless the appetites and passions it is in vain or almost in vain to hope for any radical improvement in our physical intellectual or moral condition except in proportion as the body and the bodily appetites are kept in proper subjection to right reason and religion here i must again urge upon every young woman the duty of studying the laws of health and especially those of temperance the knowledge thus to be obtained would be of exceedingly great value to her in the government of her passions and appetites professor massey recently of dartmoor college in new hampshire relates that a teacher in boston whose general course of discipline was quite mild 
was sometimes too much affected in his temper by high seasoned or overstimulating dinners as to be petulant and passionate even to blows immediately afterwards now whether this was often the case with the individual in question i cannot say this however i may affirm with the utmost safety and confidence that many an individual who finds her passions or her appetites more than usual troublesome or rebellious would do well to look for the cause in the bad air which she breathes the bad food or drink she uses or in something else in herself or in her habits which might have been prevented sometimes tea or coffee notwithstanding their first effects to enliven produce the results i have mentioned as their secondary effects sometimes a hearty dinner of flesh meat or a mo more moderate one with bad accompaniments or of improper seasonings is the cause of trouble sometimes the cause is something either quite indigestible or difficult of digestion whether it be animal or vegetable and lastly but yet most frequently of all it may be excess of quantity or the bad cooking of substances naturally wholesome and digestible i press this part of my subject upon the consideration of young women because it concerns not them alone but a host of others no one liveth to himself as an apostle and the remark is quite as important in its application to the young woman as to any other individual one reason why i urge it is because we are all almost universally referred to moral means and moral considerations alone in order to keep in subjection the body its passions and appetites and seldom if ever to a proper attention to our food or our drink our air our exercise or our sleep nay the hopes of the young in regard to keeping the body in subjection are sometimes completely paralyzed by the grave assertion that the strength of our passions and appetites is constitutional as much as our inheritance as the colour of our eyes or the contour of our physiognomies and almost equally unalterable now i would encourage no young woman to expect too much of temperance in all things without the cooperation of the moral powers and especially of the will but i would encourage her to strict temperance for her own sake and that of others i would say to her once more that in proportion to her obedience to the laws of health in regard to air exercise sleep temperature study food drink clothing etc etc will be her ability to govern herself according to right and reason and the commands of the creator the simpler her diet for example and the more free it is from extraneous things as fats condiments etc the easier it will be to keep herself in proper subjection to herself the body to the immortal spirit one of the most powerful and ever active causes of that slavery of the soul to the body which every person of sense must perceive and deplore is our unnatural and artificial cookery had it been the aim of all the cookery in the world to make it as bad as possible for the health of body and soul i know not that things could be worse than they are now very few things indeed are made more palatable more digestible or more nutritious by it the legitimate and the only ends all the efforts of our fashionable cookery on the contrary they are made almost universally a great deal worse for us let the young woman who would serve god in her day and generation by doing good in the reformation elevation and eternal progress of herself and those around her not only study deeply the laws of health and life but let 
her tax her powers of reasoning and invention to see it is not possible to remove the cause of so much mischief from our parlours our sleeping-rooms our kitchens and our tables much must be done in this respect before the world can become what it ought to be and woman must lead the way woman of some future generation if not of the present End of chapter seven